A very good afternoon to each and every one of you. So good to see you. Welcome to Hope DXB. Such a joy and a privilege to, to have you at our church service this afternoon. If this is your first time, after a while, or this is your first time, welcome. We believe that as a church, we're here, we exist for you and for this city. And we want to be a catalyst of change and carriers of hope to this city as well. The good news is uh, I'm not preaching today. I don't know if that's good news for you. <laughs> but um, I'm really thankful as a church over the last number of years for the privilege that we've had to worship in this hall at Christ Church. Yeah. I'm really thankful for the relationship that we've had with Christ Church and for all that they've been to us, the encouragement, the blessing, and uh, very timely, very timely, you know, in opening up this space for us. And uh, these are not just feel-good words, uh, Father Jim, but this is what Christ Church has really been to us. And this afternoon, it is my joy and my privilege uh, to welcome a person whom... Uh, I not only honor and, and respect deeply, but a person whom I share a very good friendship with as well. You know, a person who has been there with us through thick and thin, a person who has stood by us, a person who has, who has always tried to help us in the best possible way. And uh, I feel proud, actually. I've never, I've never ever felt so proud uh, ever before to have uh, a priest, you know, a reverend father as my friend. But I feel proud this afternoon, you know, to call him my friend. And so even as we welcome him to come and share the message, to preach and to share what God's put in his heart this afternoon, I want you all to stand with me and welcome him. Good morning. Please be seated. It's nice. It's an honor to be here with you this afternoon. I have to change my words. I'm always tempted to say this morning, even on Christmas Eve, I have to catch myself. You know, people ask what to call me. Yeah, Father Jim is fine. I jokingly say, call me Papa. You know, that's my, no one ever calls me that, just for the record, you know. Um, but call me Jim. Uh, Jim is fine. That's what I'm known by. I'm going to put that to a test today about God has never failed you, okay, because you listened to my sermon this morning. So, uh, so I will put God to the test, and we're not supposed to do that. But let's begin with this. Let's see if you recognize this. Some of you will.
Now, some of you are of age, or perhaps you know the music, the Rolling Stones' 1969 album. Now, when Clinton asked me to, if I would say a few words or preach, I thought at about prayer as well. I thought either some of you haven't been praying hard enough because you ended up with an Anglican priest this morning, <laughs> or you have prayed hard and we're not going to have 30-minute sermon this morning from Clinton. So, but again, it could go either way on that. So. I, I was joking before the service when we were doing the mics and all that, I was apologizing if you could hear me, because I'll do that sometimes in the back in our church, people say, oh, I heard you clearly today. Oh, I apologize for that. You know, I'll try. <laughs> so. Now, but you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you find you get what you need. And I thought that it somewhat encapsulates what prayer is like a lot of times. We don't always get what we want or desire, at least not what we put into words. Now, I'm going to ask you to file that away for a moment, but we'll come back to it, I promise, by the time we get finished anyway. Before I do, however, there's a story I heard recently about a pastor. And first of all, keep this in mind, it's going to be about a cat. I'll tell you that right now. And in case this sounds really cruel, it may be, but I love cats. We jokingly say I have a cat ministry here where I go feed all the cats in the compound. So I love cats. And if you ask me how many I have or we have, my wife and I, I'm going to tell you honestly, officially or unofficially, because the count differs on that. So I do that disclaimer to begin with. But the story is about a pastor a pastor who was working in his yard one day, and he had a kitten, a lovely cute kitten that had climbed up a tree in his backyard and then was afraid to climb down. Of course, the pastor coached, offered food, but still nothing. The kitten would not come down no matter what, and the tree was not that sturdy enough to climb. So the pastor decided that if he tied a rope, and I'm sure this sounded like a good idea at the time, if he tied, threw a rope up and tied it off, and then he tied the rope to the car and pulled the tree down, he could then reach up and get the kitten. That's what he did, all the while checking his progress in the car. He then figured if he went just a little bit further, the tree would be bent sufficiently for him to re reach the kitten. But if you can think ahead a little bit, you can imagine what happened. As he moved the car a little bit further forward, the rope broke, and the tree went bong. <laughs> and the cat, now you know why I gave the disclaimer, okay? <laughs> the cat sailed through the air out of sight. The pastor felt terrible. He walked all over the neighborhood asking people if they had seen this cute little kitten. So he prayed, Lord, I just commit this kitten to your keeping, and went on about his business. That's the best he could do. A few days later, he was at the grocery store, and he met one of his church members. He happened to look into her shopping cart and was amazed by what he saw there. He was amazed to see cat food. Now, the woman was a she was a woman who hated cats, despised them, thought they were the spawn of Satan. You know. 
especially when they go wild like they do sometimes. Why are you buying cat food, he asked her, when you hate cats so much? And she replied, you won't believe this. And then she told him how her little girl had been begging her for a cat, but she kept refusing. Then a few days before, the child had begged again, so the mom finally told the little girl, well, if God gives you a cat, I will let you keep it. (laughs) She told the pastor, I watched this with my own eyes. I watched my own child, my own flesh and blood get on her knees in the yard and ask God for a cat. And really, pastor, you won't believe this. (laughs) But I saw with my own eyes a kitten suddenly came flying out of the blue sky with his paws outspread and landed right in front of her. So what lesson did you learn from that about prayer? Here's what I learned. Never, ever underestimate the power of prayer. And equally, never underestimate God's unique sense of humor. (laughs) So be careful what you pray for, (laughs) or what your children pray for, as the case may be. Now, this morning, Clint said I could pick anything, and so I picked the parable, I misspelled it up there, obviously, of the widow and the unjust judge. That's not an Anglican term, the prayable or anything, uh, just in case you're wondering. But you may know the story. It's from Luke 18, 1 through 8, and if you have it on your phone or your Bible, then you can look it up. If not, it's going to be up on the screen if all goes well. Anyway, then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge and neither feared, who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a woman who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my accuser. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when a son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, I don't know, perhaps Clinton's already preached on this passage in this series, and if he did, I'm sure it's not going to be anything like mine. And that's either a thank God moment, (laughs) or we miss Clinton already. (laughs) Now, according to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told his disciples a parable because they were having trouble and problems with prayer. Jesus knew that many of us at various times in our lives have real questions and issues and problems with prayer. Often we wonder if prayer is really heard by God. So many of our prayers seem to go unanswered. We pray for health but there's still a spot on the x-ray. The test results from the doctor are not good. We pray for peace, but the troops aren't home and the war rages. We pray for our children, 
but they still get into deep trouble. We pray for our marriage, but it continues to disintegrate and sometimes evaporate before our very eyes. We have problems with prayer, but when we go all the way down our deepest problem with prayer, I think, is that we lose heart. We just lose heart. We lose heart no matter how much we proclaim it or or sing it, that God is faithful and God will always be there. We lose heart in that, and we need reminders to not lose heart that our God is faithful. We lose confidence and trust and hope that our prayers will be heard and answered. We lose hearts, so Jesus told them a parable that they might pray always and not lose heart. Now, the story, as you know, and that's not God, I don't think. <laughs> it might be, so, you know, someone's really praying hard. The story that Jesus told his disciples was about an absolutely horrible judge. Horrible. This judge hated people, and he hated God. He's the kind of corrupt judge that makes a mockery of the title, Your Honor. Unfortunately, appearing in his courtroom was a poor widow, a poor widow who needed justice but had nothing. She had absolutely nothing. She had no money. She had no husband. She had no standing, no prestige, no power, no influence, no resources. She was so insignificant, she probably couldn't have gotten justice in a good courtroom with a good judge, but here she was in the courtroom of the worst judge judge in the land. Now, did I say that she had nothing? I think I did, but that's not quite accurate. She did have one thing. She had the remarkable capacity to be a pest. (laughs) Now, some of you have that gift, I'm sure. Clinton and I have spoken. No, I mean, we haven't spoken about that. No names, no mention. But to be a pest, to annoy, when you only have one weapon, what do you do? You use it to the best of your ability. So she annoyed this judge constantly. She shouted for justice in his courtroom, give me justice, give me justice. She knocked on his chamber doors, left messages on his answering machine if he had it. She probably even found him teeing off at the golf club, shouting, give me justice, give me justice. Finally, the parable tells us she wore the judge down. The judge said to himself, you know, I don't care anything about justice. I don't care anything about this widow. I don't like people. I don't like God. I don't care about anybody. But this woman is about to drive me bonkers drive me crazy. I'm going to give her what she wants just to get her off my back. And that's the story Jesus told us, that we might pray always and not lose heart. Now, a legitimate question is, what are we supposed to get out of that story that will help us pray always and not lose heart? Well, some people say that maybe Jesus wants us to keep our eyes focused on the bad judge, and He does tell His disciples, do you remember the line, pay attention to what this unjust unjust judge says. 
And if we pay attention to the judge, what do we see? What we see is that even though he was a horrible man, at the end of the day, he did give the woman the justice that she demanded and needed. So maybe what Jesus is teaching us is that even though the headlines in the newspaper often show a world of corruption and evil, this is still God's world. This is a world with a loving and just God behind it all. At the end of the day, there is justice after all. Maybe that's what Jesus wants us to see. Now, that will preach, as Clinton will tell you too. We can preach that about who God is. And I certainly like to believe that, and I think that may be part of what is being said, but I don't think that's at the heart of Jesus' story, because if that's all Jesus wanted us to see, the moral of the story might simply be, take heart, don't give up. Things are not as bad as they seem. Put on that happy face, if you will. And God, stay positive, and God and I can conquer it all. Again, that will preach good lesson, good reminder for us. But the moral of the story is different. Remember, pray always and do not lose heart. Okay, then perhaps Jesus wants us to focus on the poor widow. Did you notice how she went after what she needed? It was, after all, her persistence. Give me justice, give me justice, that managed to wrangle justice from the unjust judge. Now, I heard a delightful story recently about Mother Teresa, who went to visit this gentleman in Washington, D.C., Edward Bennett Williams, a legendary criminal attorney there. He was a powerful lawyer. He at one time owned the Washington Redskins. Now they have a new name, an American football team, and the Baltimore Orioles, a major league baseball team, and he was the lawyer for such people as Frank Sinatra and Richard Nixon, among others. A biography of Williams tells a story about when Mother Teresa visited him when she was raising money for an AIDS hospice. Williams was in charge of a charitable foundation that she hoped would help. Now, you have to understand, before she arrived for the appointment, William said to his partner, Paul Dietrich, you know, Paul, AIDS is not my favorite disease, as if we have favorite diseases. I don't, if you, you know, but AIDS is not my favorite disease. I don't really want to make a contribution, but I've got this Catholic saint coming to see me, and I don't know what to do. Well, they agreed they would be polite, be hospitable, welcome her, and hear her out, but then clearly say no. Well, Mother Teresa arrived. She was a little sparrow sitting on the other side of the big mahogany lawyer's desk. She made her appeal for the hospice, and William said very politely, we're touched by your appeal, but no. Mother Teresa did not bat an eye, but simply said, let us pray. Williams looked at his partner, unsure what to do. They bowed their heads, and after the prayer, Mother Teresa made the same pitch, word for word, not changing anything, for the hospice. Again, Williams politely said, no. Mother Teresa said, can you guess? Let us pray. 
Williams, realizing that he met his match, looked up at the ceiling and said, all right, all right, get me my checkbook. And maybe that's what Jesus wants. Pray like that. Pray, pray like the widow. Pray like Mother Teresa. Cry out, bang on the doors of heaven with insistence. Be persistent. Well, that's part of it, to be sure. But that's not all of it, I'm convinced. If that were the whole meaning of Jesus' story, then the moral might simply be, be feisty, pray always. Again, I think that will preach too. Be feisty, pray always. But the moral of the story is, pray always and don't lose heart. Jesus' story is not finally, I would suggest this afternoon, it's not finally about the bad judge, and it's not finally about the insistent widow. It's really a story about whom? About God, which is really what the parables are about. It's, they're about God telling us something about the kingdom of God. It's also a story about you and me. The story says, if a poor widow with no standing can finally wrangle justice out of a judge without honor, how much more will you? God's own child, the one God formed in the womb itself, the God who has loved you from the beginning, from the very beginning, how much more will you find a loving God who will respond to every cry? So pray always and don't lose heart because this is whom we're praying to, God. The focus is always on God. Now remember that song I played at the beginning? I promised I would come back to it. You don't, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But guess what? You get what you need. And we'll come back. You get what you need. If you try sometime, not all our prayers are going to be answered, at least not in the way we want them to. Not in the way you are longing your deepest desires. Sometimes the answer, guess what? Maybe no. We don't like to hear no. Sometimes, quite honestly, we don't know what we even should be praying for in the first place. You may have heard the story about the little child, little girl who was praying in her room where her mom had told her to go up and say your prayers and I'll come in and tuck you in. Well, when the mom walked into the room, she found her child didn't look like she was praying. She was reciting her ABCs. And she said, why are you you're supposed to be praying? Why are you reciting your ABCs? Well, Mom, I didn't know what to pray about, so I just went through the alphabet. I figured God can put the alphabet together and form the words of what I'm really praying about. I think there's a certain truth to that. God knows and sees beyond our words at times or our letters. Now, when I was a child, I freely admit, I prayed for very practical things. And that's good. I prayed for very practical things. But what did I pray for? I prayed for my sports teams to win the World Series, the Super Bowl, the World Cup, the Rugby Championship, important things like that. I'm sure God cares about that. 
I certainly didn't pray for world peace or justice. Now, as I've gotten older, I found myself praying, still praying for very practical things. But my prayers have changed. Now I pray for healing, for reconciliation, for restoration, about real relationships that need all of those things, including my own, even though I don't know what it looks like. Admittedly, I still find myself praying for my son to call me and not ask for money. (laughs) Just to talk and tell me about his day. See, I still believe in miracles. (laughs) And sometimes that actually happens. However, here's something that I discovered about prayer. When I pray, I find that I am transformed. Often my prayers as I've gotten older have simply been an act of surrender. And we'll go to this slide, an act of surrender. The highest form of prayer is to stand silently in awe before God. God, your loving Father, the God who loves us so deeply, sees into our hearts. And so even when we pray, for those sports teams or whatever it is that you pray for, God understands. God sees beyond that, and God gives us what we need, not always what we want. It's simply an act of surrender sitting before God. And by the way, that's in case you're wondering, St. Isaac the Syrian, I'm sure Clinton quotes him quite often here from the seventh century. I don't quote him quite often, just for the record. But I put that up there because prayer has been around for a while now, a few years anyway. We're not the first Christians out there. We come from a whole heritage line before us, and we're, living, we're part of a living tradition, a living faith. The focus is always on God and God's desires and longings for the world, not mine. No matter how much I like to think it's about me, it's not about me. It's about God's longings and putting myself in alignment with how God is moving and working in the world. So I'm transformed. And our relationship with God is like any other. Prayer is about listening as much or more than speaking, than babbling. (laughs) Stop. Don't talk so much. Listen in prayer. Here's another well-known individual, I'm sure gets quoted, Theophane Fan the recluse. That's a one for you, the recluse. To praise, to descend with the mind into the heart, and there to stand before the face of the Lord, ever-present, all-seeing within you. God's presence is already here, and sometimes we have to move from here to here so we can participate in God's heart for the world, God's love. If we say it's a two-way relationship, spiritual communication, however you want to phrase it, if you will, relationships stagnate and die if we are doing all the talking. When only one partner is dominating the conversation. And also keep in mind this, prayer isn't, when we speak of prayer life, it's not a tally sheet of answered prayers in this column and unanswered prayers in this one. First of all, I really don't know, because I may have gotten what I wanted, but I find out later 
That may not have been God's desire. It looks like it because I got what I said I wanted. But it's more than that. You may not always get what you want. You may get what you need. And what you need and what we all need is a relationship, a relationship with the living God. And that's what prayer is designed for, is to put you into right relationship with the living God. And I love this one. What did you gain? I can't read it up there. What did you gain uh, by praying regularly to God? A changed life. Someone asked this gentleman, what did you get by praying? It's because my life was changed and transformed. I stopped hating. And it's also about what I gave up. It's not always about what I gained, but I lost my sense of envy. I lost my lack of love for my neighbor. So prayer is often about what you lose and what you give up, not just, oh, look what I got. I prayed to God, and this is what I got. It's often, I prayed to God, and I let go. I let God work in my life. You are transformed as you enter into a life of prayer. And prayer is that, as I said, cultivating a relationship with the living God. And as we end up, I want to finally say this. Finally, prayer, we often think of prayer as spoken, but it can also be expressed in other ways. What we say, what we do, and how we do it all express God's presence when we are prayerful. Abraham Heschel, who was this great Hebrew um, uh, scripture theologian, when I marched with Martin Luther King in Selma, Alabama, if you know Dr. Martin Luther King fighting for civil rights in the U.S., I felt my legs were praying. I felt my legs were praying. My feet were praying. The meaning in our heads can become the meaning in our bodies, and our bodies become sacred, holy moments when we enter into that. Sometimes these bodily actions accompany those spoken prayers. Our bodies can embody prayers, and words, don't get me wrong, are not necessarily bad or wrong. Pray, yes, say. Also understand God knows our heart, but I invite you to embody prayer. Pray for justice by actively working toward it. Pray for forgiveness and reconciliation by freely offering it. And guess what? Also freely receiving it. That's the part I have more trouble with. Embody your prayer. Do you want to pray for those well off than yourselves? Do you want to pray for those who are hungry and in need? Then do so. Use your words, but equally important, use your hands and your feet and do something. Prayer is active and not passive. It's not something you just sit at home and passive. Now, sometimes prayer is all we can do in a lot of situations in the world. That's just reality. But here's one final example. You may recognize if you can see up there, at least a few people up there, you'll see Clinton. You're a pastor alongside Stan, Fabian, and Lawrence. They are praying with their hands. When you joined in with us to bring items to the laborers, 
You were praying with your hands. Some of that was when you, if you said a prayer over it, but part of it was the physical act of doing it and giving it. They are praying with their hands and their feet and their heart, just like you do. You want to know what prayer looks like? Take a good long look. Take a good long look about what prayer can do and accomplish as we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole being, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's prayer in motion. And I close with this. It's an honor to be here with you. It's an honor to be part of Christ Church. I came here two and a half years ago, six months before COVID, and I don't think there's a connection with that, but who knows? Some people may doubt that. But it's important to be a part because we're sisters and brothers in Christ. That's what we focus on. We pray for each other. Yes, that means saying the words, but it also means living it out by joining together in praising God as we were doing, you know, before this. And I'm sure we'll probably still be doing it, knowing Clinton, anyway, and all of your reputation. But we bear witness to the living God. So enter into prayer. And this, as I said, remember, is what prayer looks like. Amen.